Hey there, Team Health Tech. So last year in 2020, we saw a dramatic change in employee engagement, and many companies have found it hard to provide a consistent and positive employee wellbeing experience. A lot of people still feel uncomfortable about returning to the workplace. Outbreak prevention, worker safety, and employers' peace of mind are huge priorities for businesses as they continue to operate in 2021 and beyond. In this conversation today, I'm joined by Kirsty Garrett from Doctors on Demand, alongside Torsten Becht from Rio Tinto APAC region, as we explore how telehealth is helping employers to manage absenteeism, presenteeism, and retention in the new COVID hybrid workplace. It's that time to make it happen. Welcome to Talking Health Tech with Peter Birch, a podcast featuring conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. With me today are Kirsty Garrett from Doctors on Demand and Torsten Becht from Rio Tinto. Torsten has 15 years of experience in the corporate HR and benefits arena, following a career originally as a physiotherapist. He leads the design, implementation, governance and continuous improvement of the employee benefits program for Rio Tinto APAC region, with particular focus on health plans, group risk insurance, health and wellbeing, superannuation and pension plans. Kirsty Garrett is the CEO of Doctors on Demand one of Australia's leading telehealth businesses. She's been in the technology business for over 30 years in leadership roles with leading major ICT organisations, including SAP, HP, Mincom and Fujitsu. Hey guys, how are you going? Very well. Awesome. Looking forward to exploring the world of telehealth from an employer's perspective, as well as uh, obviously from the provider side of things too. So it's great being able to get a well-rounded conversation in this episode today. So thank you both for making the time. I gave a bit of a high-level overview at the start of the conversation, but I'll get you both to introduce yourselves. Maybe Kirsty, can you start with yourself, please? Yeah, sure. That 30 years is worrying to hear <laughs> presented back to me, but uh I have been around for a little while and uh, I joined Doctors on Demand as a CEO in uh, early 2019. So uh, Doctors on Demand had been going since 2015, so uh, certainly not a pop-up business. And I joined well ahead of COVID, obviously. I've had a ball since coming on board. Amazing. And Torsten? Been with RIA for a couple of years, but as you sort of mentioned, a long background in employee benefits and, and particularly the health model being interested because I used to work as a physio haven't practiced since the late 90s. That's going back, making me feel old as well, Kirsty. We're all experienced in this episode today. <laughs> experience. Less much experienced workers rather than older workers. It sounds a lot better, doesn't it? So, yeah, look, a long, long history of sort of health and well-being, occupational rehab, um, work very closely with our health and safety teams and obviously our, our partners in that health and well-being space. Excellent. And we're focusing a bit on Doctors on Demand today, Kirsty. So tell us all about that. Doctors on Demand, what is it? Who's it for? What problem does it solve? So we're a, a virtual care service. We provide a 24-7 telehealth platform for GPs and uh, mental health and, and allied health for consumers, but, uh, but also for our commercial partners. Uh, the business was established in 2015 by two pharmacists who owned regional pharmacies as well as medical centres. So they were seeing firsthand the problem where patients would arrive at a pharmacy seeking medication for a chronic condition that they may have been receiving meds for for many years. The pharmacist could see exactly what they'd been provided. Their doctor was closed or the doctor was busy or couldn't get an appointment for three or four days or they'd have to drive 80Ks to the next town to get in to see a doctor. 
purely to be able to access the medications that, that they've been on for a long time. So with their experience and, and knowledge of medical centres and primary care, they developed the Doctors on Demand platform to really bridge that gap between pharmacy, doctor and patient and, and really put the patient in control so the patient can determine when and where and how they can access the healthcare that they need. And you mentioned before at the start and a little bit then that you've been around obviously pre-COVID and being a telehealth provider pre-COVID would have been very different to being a telehealth provider now, or at least a lot more people are aware of the whole concept of telehealth and how it's used within the industry. What was it like being, you know, a pure telehealth operation pre-COVID and what's changed since then? Well, it was certainly a little quieter (laughs) pre-February 2020. We actually spent uh, a lot more investment around education and awareness, both at the consumer level for patients to understand that telehealth is a legitimate and private and secure way to access healthcare, but more so for the practitioners, a lot of education around use of telehealth and why telehealth and that telehealth is a great option for, for GPs or for psychologists to be able to see their patients from their clinics or from home uh, without needing to be in a face-to-face scenario. And obviously that played out very heavily during COVID when GP clinics literally shut their doors and uh, and then only provided telehealth access for their patients. So uh, post-COVID or through COVID, we've certainly seen a massive shift in adoption of telehealth. One of the challenges though is that telehealth the perception is that telehealth equals telephone, which is clearly an inferior way of, of providing healthcare services. And we saw that proven out with 43 million Medicare claims for telehealth for primary care between March and December, and only 9% of those were video telehealth. So we've still got a lot to do to educate, again, practitioners and, and patients that private, secure, purpose-built telehealth platforms for video consultation is, is the best way to go. The biggest change that we saw around about March was from employers, where all of a sudden they were managing hybrid workforces where they had people in lockdown in home environments. They had people off-site and on planes in FIFO scenarios, and, and all of a sudden they had a heightened duty of care for their employees to A, ensure that if they were sick, that they shouldn't work or shouldn't present at work. Um, But if they were getting better, that they had clearance to be able to come back to work safely. So there was uh, there was a lot of additional demand that we were look that we were taking care of from employers around that heightened duty of care with that hybrid environment. Excellent. And we'll, and we'll get into that employer side in a lot of detail with Torsten here too. But just to provide some kind of clarity and context for everybody too, where Doctors On Demand fits in the whole telehealth ecosystem, I guess there's everything from GP clinics providing telehealth services and they've got a bricks and mortar clinic as well. And then there's vendors who create technology to enable GPs to deliver telehealth services. And there's everything kind of in between. Where do you guys fit on the spectrum of telehealth, if that's a thing? So we're a pure telehealth provider of virtual care services. So we have both the platform uh, to provision that that care as well as the providers. So we have 
over 50 GPs on our service. We have psychologists, we have dietitians. So uh, we provide services for, for consumers, but also for employers to look after their workforce. And we have partnerships with other insurance organisations as well, where we look after their policyholders and their members. So we are both the platform as well as the provider of care and healthcare services. Excellent. Got it. Torsten, from an employer's perspective, you know, I know that Rio moved quite quickly during COVID to provide virtual primary healthcare services to staff. When that all kind of clicked over, what made you make that call so quickly? Yeah, well, it's interesting. I mean, Kirsty, what you just said sounds a bit like the Rio scenario. So, you know, we had a we had a plan in place pre-COVID to roll out telehealth in Australia, um, primarily because it was we thought it was a sensible thing to do to give um, easy and better access for particularly our employees in remote regional locations. So, you know, we have 45,000 employees globally, just under half of that in Australia, and the majority of those are regional or remote based. So we had sort of a three to four month implementation plan to roll this out anyway. We do it already across other parts of Southeast Asia and, and the US and Canada. So I think we're a little bit immature in Australia when it comes to this sort of a, a service. And then COVID came along and that four month implementation plan became a three week implementation plan. So we accelerated rapidly when COVID first hit Australia and moved really quickly. And interestingly, you know, some of the things that Kirsty was talking about, convincing the general consumer that this is a safe and secure service, that was the reason we thought it might take three or four months to roll out. So we had to jump through some hurdles there <laughs> to do that in three or four weeks. But it was really primarily safety and well-being of our people and their families. So how can we make sure that our employees can still have access to quality healthcare, can get their scripts filled, can get their medical certificates if they need be, without exposing them to the risk of going into a busy medical centre or a hospital um, where, they, where they could well be exposed to, to, to COVID. Um, and, and for us as an organisation, we were very um, proactive early on to make sure that we didn't have to furlough, we didn't have to lay people off, we didn't have to shut sites down. Um, and a lot of our, you know, our operations operate 24-7. And as Kirsty sort of alluded to, with FIFO residential sites, so, you know, having to potentially shut down some of those operations would have a huge impact on us and the communities that in, in which we operate. So to be able to provide that sort of GP service and access without people having to leave their home, without having to put, you know, potentially vulnerable relatives, elderly parents at home at risk was a massive driver for us. And then that's why we moved very quickly to make not only in Australia, but globally that we have all our employees have access to virtual care. Oh, that's remarkable. And, you know, you've touched on a bit of this already, but just to really crystallize it, where would you say telehealth makes the biggest difference for Rio since it was introduced? Like what kind of situations? So we, we anticipated that the real benefit would be in our remote locations where in the Pilbara or at Weeper up in the Arnhem Land have to drive, as Kirsty sort of alluded to, 60, 70, 80 kilometers and effectively lose a shift to, to see GP. Whereas now they make an they book the session during a break or after work when it suits them and it's a 50-minute consult and that's all they lose out of their day is 15 minutes. But what we found through COVID is, and, and even beyond COVID, you know, obviously we're very fortunate in Australia that we can sort of get out and about again, is a lot of our hubs, so in Perth, Brisbane, are using the service you know, as much as if not more so than our original locations and it really is the ease of access. The convenience of being able to make that appointment, not lose time sitting in a waiting room, um, we've had FIFO workers who might be on a you know two weeks on two weeks off. They can book their appointment after after a shift and get their console done, get their script filled. Where otherwise they might have had to wait a week or two for their their roster to finish and for the, and to get back home again. 
Um, and similarly, in, in Brisbane and Perth, we have operation centres that work 24-7, so we have shift workers. And we, we've had some of them, you know, have their medical consult at 11.30pm at night at the end of their shift, rather than, again, potentially having to wait two, three days and, and lose the whole day, having to go to see the doctor, make an appointment, sit in the waiting room, then go to the pharmacy, get the script filled. So that ease of access and the convenience anytime, anywhere, any place has been a, a massive impact. And the other thing we've noticed in some of our remote locations, it's actually taken pressure of the public health system. So, you know, up in Weeper, there's a there's a, a public hospital, you know, in the absence of people being able to go anywhere, people might go to the A&E or the hospital for things that otherwise, you and I might not go to a hospital for, but that's the only option they have. So we've actually taken the drain off the public system by our people being able to access the, the services through Doctors on Demand. I always find it fascinating that in Australia, we've got this huge need to be able to provide healthcare services in rural and remote areas. Like you say, you'd lose a shift driving from one location to just go see a GP for something that can be done over the phone. And normally in Australia, we're so comfortable in watching other parts of the world act before we then respond and do something. And like you say, with being a late adopter for telehealth, you know, in this type of situation, we definitely need to be the leaders in, you know, in a world-class healthcare system that's so spread out across the country where we're in a prime position to be able to really lead globally in terms of telehealth. So it's good to hear those examples and how they're providing some benefit. Kirsty, obviously you've, like you mentioned, in the early days pre-COVID had to do a lot of awareness building and research and providing, trying to build the trust and I guess buy-in for telehealth services. And no doubt you would have received people with kind of, like some people who have hesitation or unsure as to whether it can be an effective way to deliver healthcare services when doing it via telehealth. Now that you've got some runs on the board and delivered a lot of services, what have you found has been definitely just a way that telehealth is an effective, if not more effective way to deliver health services? And what scenarios is it not an effective way? Well, the feedback that we've had from patients who during this period have used telehealth for the first time, video telehealth for the first time, has been that they actually have a greater interaction with the doctor face-to-face via the video than they often do sitting in a in the waiting room where you've got a really busy GP who's sitting in front of his practice management system and looking at the screen and doing a quick check chat and then they're out the door after waiting for 45 minutes outside in the waiting room. So the feedback that we have had is that, you know, I actually had 10 minutes of dedicated conversation or 15 minutes of dedicated conversation with the GP in that live interaction. And you can actually see and get a lot of information from the patient face-to-face, and this is the feedback from doctors. They can cover generally about 70% of most regular GP presentations. The only time they really need to refer them back to a physical GP or refer them to emergency is if there's uh, been an acute injury and it needs immediate treatment or if they need to prescribe medication that's dependent on blood pressure readings and it needs to be current, not when I last got a blood pressure uh, test done a couple of months ago, or if they're concerned about skin cancers and, and we haven't in- in- integrated yet with uh, with some of the great tools now around skin, but we will be looking at that. Um, so, yeah, any of those sort of um, concerns that require a physical interaction and and a physical assessment from the doctor with the patient. But that is about 30% of of the presentation that turns up on our doorstep and and we can handle pretty much everything else. You know, for us, there were sort of two philosophical questions around this that we bounced around when we first rolled this out. 
One was this sort of notion of, you know, does it does it potentially encourage people to go doctor shopping to get the answers that they want? And, you know, we want people to have ongoing relationships with the same GP so you build up a history. And, and I think in some respects that makes sense. But the reality is a lot of people don't have a regular GP. You know, I don't. So I think, you know, that's not as big an issue as the perception might be. And the other thing around the sort of the security piece that we bounced around was, you know, way up pros and cons. You know, on the one hand, you're in a remote location, you've got an elderly parent at home, there might be a risk that your data gets hacked and it ends up on Facebook. But the alternative is that you go into a medical center, um, get coronavirus, you bring it home and a vulnerable relative dies. So, you know, when you weigh up the pros and cons, that philosophical discussion went away real quick. It's the, you know, if we can take care of our people and our family members, then yeah, there might be some risk around data security, but you know what, in the pros and cons, we'll take that. Torsten, that's a great point, which also comes to part of that education around telehealth as a safe and legitimate way to access healthcare. Rio Tinto did a very detailed, thorough review around cybersecurity with our service prior to them um, utilising it and offering it to employees. So I, I think that's that's an important note for the industry here in Australia in that we should have very high standards around privacy and security and data protection uh, and that the providers that, that operate in this in this area um, need to be able to adhere to that and need to be able to prove that they have those processes and practices in place as we were able to do for Rio Tinto. Hey, thinking to the practicality side of things, Torsten or Kirsty, in providing video teleconsults, you obviously need a computer or a phone or something with video involved. There's just being able to provide telehealth services via video. It needs things, but also you need internet connections and all these other things that need to happen. And doing it in remote and isolated areas, it's a really important thing, but at the same time, it might be hard to get all those bits and pieces in place. Has it been hard to facilitate these types of teleconsults in rural and remote areas in you know provisioning the right equipment and making the connections? Yeah, no, that's a good question, Pete. Look, from my perspective, I'm not aware that any of our people have had any issues being able to access the service. I think in practicality, what happens is that most people will use their, their mobile to make the appointment, to use, you know, use the doctors in the mind app, make the appointment um, and actually use the phone to, to do their consultation. And all our employees, like everybody nowadays, has a smartphone. And the areas where we operate tend to have pretty good coverage. Plus, we also have really reliable internet on all our sites. So people can access it at work, whether it's through their, through their laptop or through the mobile phone, but we certainly have had any feedback that people have had any issues, issues connecting in our offices. We have quiet rooms, reliable NBN internet, so that hasn't, hasn't been an issue. And for all our remote locations, the, the mobile works well. Um, certainly haven't had yeah, said, said no concerns with being able to get onto the service. And I think most of it would be app-based. Yeah, just to add to that, there are 16 million Australians with smartphones. All you need is a 3G. I've just got 5G on my phone. Uh, so we're, we're certainly heading towards a highly accessible service for, for regional and rural Australians. But even um, you know, we look after a lot of overseas students for one of our insurance clients and they can be in a CBD apartment building and their Wi-Fi is dodgy because it's had so much demand on it. So as long as you have a smartphone and a 3G minimum connection, you're able to access services. 
Further on that, because we've always talked around the reason why telephone telehealth is much more utilized is because everyone has a phone and everyone's comfortable jumping on the phone. And like you say, yes, everyone's got a phone and most cameras have, like most phones have a camera on it. So one thing I've noticed, especially through COVID is that, you know, when you do like a video call and there's always like a large proportion of people who are like, oh, I don't want to turn my video on or like, oh, oh, my camera doesn't work because X, Y, Z. So it's like almost like a cultural thing or a something about jumping on a video that people go, oh, I'm not too comfortable with this. Do you think that given that we've done so much in video calls in the past 12 months, that'll shift or with more technology that becomes available, it just becomes the norm and, and we're just working through this cultural thing? Because it's important that a patient feels comfortable on the other end jumping on a video call, doesn't matter if the technology exists or not. Have you had any thoughts around that whole kind of barrier that might exist for some people about being comfortable in doing a video call? I think with respect to primary care and the overuse of telephone versus video has not been driven necessarily by the patient, but it's been driven by the GPs themselves in bricks and mortar clinics where they may not have a a camera on their computer or a microphone on their computer. And it's a lot easier for them just to pick up a phone, do a five, six minute call and then move on to the next consultation. So from the patient's perspective, you're absolutely right, Pete. It's a matter of a high level of comfort now, talking to friends, talking to colleagues, talking to practitioners using video, and it certainly gives the doctor a far greater health experience to be able to uh, to, to talk to their patient so that when they're seeing them physically. Um, we have had feedback, though, in the psych area that there are some patients that have Initially, uh, you know, they're less comfortable being on camera straight up with their with their psychologist. Um, but that's that's always going to be a personal thing, and that's always going to be a sensitivity that the, that the psychologist will accommodate. However, the patient wants to receive those services. But uh, but yeah, certainly in the GP arena, it's it's probably more on the GP side rather than the patient side in terms of that high presence of telephone. No, it's a really interesting point and I agree with you. And it's something that can be so easily fixed with like a couple of minutes of setup and just making sure you've got the right equipment in a GP clinic to then be sustainable for a longer period of time. So putting that short amount of work in up front can make huge headwinds moving forward. You know, we, I was just going to add, I think we've certainly seen a shift on the back of COVID. So, you know, I think when we first started transitioning, everyone worked from home for a little while and you'd have kids running into the meeting or a cat jumping on the desk, you know, people would get really embarrassed and turn their, turn their, their phones off. Now you see people in T-shirts and have the kids on their lap and animals running around. Like no, one's, no one cares anymore and I think that's been a real positive. So I think there's a much more relaxed sort of attitude about being on camera and people just don't worry about it like they used to pre-COVID and I think that's a really good thing. Um, so I, I'd imagine that that will gradually make people more comfortable. And I think the other thing is that when you're talking to a GP, it's one-on-one worried about other people on the call, what they might see. It's just you and, the, and that one person you're engaging with. And interesting, interesting thing is, you know, early on there was this thing, of, you know, this is the age of the introvert because you no longer have to engage with people face-to-face. But it was actually the introverts who were less comfortable putting their camera on. But I think people actually, I think, tend to turn it on more as it's become sort of more, yeah, just more relaxed. So I think you, I'd imagine that you will see that flow through. That's a great point. And just thinking around the norms of employee health and well-being programs, what's that going to be like moving forward, do you think, Torsten? For us, given the industry that we work in, physical safety and health has always been obviously a very high priority because the reality is we get that wrong, people die. So, you know, that hasn't changed. 
there's certainly been a significant shift and increased focus on mental health and well-being, and that was the case pre-COVID, and that has only been heightened through through COVID, and particularly in, in other countries where you know we've had people in lockdown for months and months and months. We are definitely seeing a shift to financial well-being as kind of the next the next big thing in the in the in the well-being space, and I think part of that has been driven by the impacts of COVID on people and, and their circumstances. But I think there is also absolutely a much heightened focus on on virtual care. Um, and, and not just in inverted commas seeing you, you know GP through telehealth, but virtual primary care. And how do we expand that to in-home diagnostics, to in-home aged care, post-operative care? How do we include vision, dental, allied health? Um, so I, I think we're expecting to see a, a material proliferation on, on virtual primary care and what that looks like. Really true. And lastly then, Kirsty, Doctors on Demand, thinking what you guys are working on moving forward, what are we going to look forward to coming out of Doctors on Demand in the future? Well, we're certainly uh, going to continue to provide the acute care services in, in primary care and, and continue the, building the mental health service. What we will be doing down the track is sort of shifting from acute care into, into wellness and recognising that employers are employing the whole person when they're sick and when they're well. So how do we optimise wellness? How do we reduce risk factors around chronic disease? How do we educate patients to ensure that every 12 months they're getting pathology done to assess cholesterol and you know, prostate and be able to assess where they're at based on their gender and their age and stage of life? So, uh, so we're actually doing uh, quite a lot of work around uh, our, our new service, which is called the Wellness Concierge, where we'll be able to be proactively advising, guiding, reminding uh, our, our patients and, and our employees uh, what they need to be doing to mitigating any risk factors that they may be facing based on who and where and what age they are uh, and how to really optimise their well-being. Excellent. Thank you. And just lastly, for those that are looking after the health and well-being of their employees, you know, we've heard about today a demonstration from a much larger organization like Rio and what they've been able to achieve by working with Doctors on Demand. Is there also a need for smaller organizations? Do you work with smaller or more nimble organizations that need assistance with this type of thing as well? Yes, certainly through COVID, we saw um, small, medium and large organizations recognising that they needed to be looking after their employees more holistically. Um, we have some clients that have 20 employees. We have other clients like Rio that have 45,000 employees. So it's about making the, the service and the platform accessible. And, and that's the beauty of telehealth because it can be anywhere from someone's phone through to, you know, set up physical clinic in a consult room in a large mining site on a tablet. So we can certainly support that spectrum of need for the employers. And then it's important just to recognise that we are there to get them out of work if they're sick or get them back to work quickly uh, once they're well, uh, but then also to optimise their lifestyle so that they can work longer and be healthy and have better life. Perfect. And so if there are any employers that were looking at exploring some of those ideas with you or having a chat around employee wellness and doing all those things, Kirsty, how would they get in touch? They can go to our website, uh, doctorsondemand.com.au and head straight to the corporate page and uh, they can see our full range of services and, and get in touch with us directly. 
Perfect. Look, well, thank you guys. Thank you, Torsten. Thank you, Kirsty, for joining today and having a chat around it. It's great to hear some of the innovative, progressive things that Rio were doing and looking after employees and, and also the services that are available through Doctors on Demand. So we'll put the links to some of the resources we mentioned and also just the details for Doctors on Demand in the show notes of this episode on our website. So go check it out if you're keen. Kirsty and Torsten, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Welcome to Talking Health Tech with Peter Birch, a podcast featuring conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology.